hi all. Uh, as you can see, I'm here by myself right now. Peter is in the studio having technical difficulties. So fortunately, I am somewhere else and I can run the show from here until he can join. But um, our guests are here and I so I don't want to wait for Peter. So I'm sorry that you guys didn't get your happy Seinfeld opening. Maybe we could do it for you later. Uh, but I want to talk. This is really important to me. So you guys know I've been talking about this book for a while. It was it's called Bright Green Lies. And normally, you know that I take very copious notes and these authors are going to forgive me because I audiobook this one. And so then there's no there's no written notes. So I'm going to just scroll. But th th there's so much information we got to get into. I've been telling you guys about this for a while. And this was very difficult for me. It was sort of like I compare it to how it felt for me about my come to Jesus moment about the problem with Zionism in Israel. This was sort of like my come to Jesus moment about what we're doing with the environment. And I don't think people understand the gravity of the situation. And this is not going to be convenient. So I just want to put like, this is a very uncomfortable thing, but yet it's necessary. And it doesn't necessarily have a happy ending if we don't make that so. So anyway, without further ado, I am going to bring in our authors. And one second, I'm having a technical thing. One minute. Okay, here we go. Okay, without any further ado, I can introduce to you, we have Derek Jensen and Lier Keith. Is that is that correct, Lier? Yeah, it runs with Pierre, you got it. Oh, okay, so that's really yeah. good. And it's nice that you guys are in the same place. That's very convenient. Yes, it is. When you're writing books together, very convenient. It's very convenient. Thank you so much for coming. And I know that this is like not a new book, um, that I had seen you guys talking about this on a show a while ago, actually. And I remember making a mental note that I need to get to that. And I got it on the Kindle and I got it on the audiobook, and I was able to get there. And I'm, I have to say disturbing, but yet not surprising. And um, I feel like I really connected with that, especially what you were saying in terms of how we talk about the environment is how we treat the environment. So I think the best way to do this, because like I said, I normally have folded pages and notes, but because I audiobooked, I don't. But I basically felt like every single aspect of this was so important because um, just going through each one of these sort of myths one at a time. But before we do that, I think if you would just talk a bit about um, the intro in a way where we're counting and prioritizing the wrong thing. So right. it's like, how can we get on the same page when we're not all trying to do the same thing? Right. So the main problem is that we used to have an environmental movement, the goal of which was to defend wild places and wild creatures from destruction. And that has completely changed. So in my lifetime, this movement was built and now it's been completely diverted. Instead, what we're trying to do is continue their destruction uh, we're just trying to find a new fuel source to do it. So instead of using fossil fuel, they want to use all these other kinds of quote unquote green technologies, but they want to leave the destruction in place. So that's the main problem with what's going on. But there's two other problems. One is one of which is that none of these technologies will ever scale up, in fact, to fuel industrial civilization. Um, the only thing that's ever going to do that is fossil fuel and we're almost out of it, plus we're trashing the climate with it. So that was never a plan with the future, but it really was the only way to fuel that industrial level of consumption. Can and you, then- the, Can you sum up real quick about that? The 
some of them are from diesel fuel. Okay, um, but there's one more thing, which is these technologies themselves are at least as destructive. So even if they did scale up, they would solve not a single problem. Okay, so there's that's the three main themes of the book. But as Derek is is pointing out, like one of the examples that we use to talk about how these technologies simply will not ever fuel an industrial economy. Um, the the batteries required for these electric vehicles, um, the the old fashioned kind of batteries were lead acid batteries, and their energy storage was 0.17. So just remember 0.17. Um, the ones that we have now, the super duper lithium ion batteries that, you know, they're wrecking the planet for these lithium mines. Um, and that was one uh, megajoule per, per kilogram. So that's the, the the unit there. So the lead acid is 0.17. The lithium ion is one. Uh, gasoline is 46. So even the best possible batteries that they can make are only 146 the amount of energy storage that the energy you can get out of gas, out of fossil fuel. What this means for something like your basic semi truck, you know, how all the goods are pushed back and forth across the United States, you know, on the interstate highway system, you've got those huge trucks. So the, the uh, average payload for one of those trucks is usually about 60,000 pounds, or is it, it's tons, 60,000 tons, sorry, am I right? 60,000 pounds. 60,000 pounds. Um, no, a ship would be like 60,000 okay. pounds. Okay, no, you're right. That makes total sense. Okay, 60,000 pounds. But if you're going to do that with um, a, like a, a, a quote-unquote electric vehicle, 50,000, 55,000 pounds of that would have to be just the batteries to fuel it. So you've only got 5,000 pounds left to actually put goods on that truck. I mean, at that point, the industrial economy is over. It's, there's, this is just completely not feasible. So that's what they're talking about doing. And the, just the basic numbers on this are never going to add up. Um, and yet they're continuing to pursue it like this is some kind of a solution. So that was the example that you were interested in. Yeah, I mean, what I really get from this, which is the the upsetting part, yet not very, again, not surprising, is that all of these green technologies are merely just more capitalistic ways to have a profit while simultaneously doing the same thing and yet finding new ways to profit off of it. Like it doesn't seem like, so there really aren't any solutions if we're on the same page of what our priority is, which my priority is not the further industrialization of the planet. That's not my priority. My priority is not making sure that we can all continue at this level. So how do we how do we come to real solutions you know because we could get into each one of the areas like obviously you do each chapter but where do you think it's most important for people to understand this because it's really huge like what well, we're we, saying we talk about um the problem being that we're solving for the wrong variable so instead of solving for the variable of how do we save the planet they're solving for the variable of how do we continue this way of life yeah and a great example of what you're talking about, about this basically being, you know, capitalism having uh, captured the environmental movement is that you can get 100,000 people marching on the streets of Washington, D.C. or Paris or New York. And if you ask the individual people walking there, what, why are you marching? They'll say to save the planet. And if you ask them for their specific demands, it's almost always subsidies for the solar and wind industries. And 
what that means is that the much of the environmental, I'm saying nothing bad about individual activists at all, I'm talking about the, the movement as a, as a whole, is that it has been turned into a lobbying arm for a sector of industrial capitalism. And that's extraordinary. I mean, you didn't see the Vietnam War turn, Vietnam War protests turned into a lobbying arm for a sector of industrial capitalism. It's, it's, it's pretty stunning and horrifying to me. Um, so that was one thing I was going to say. And then the other thing I was going to say is, so far as what we can do, I'm a, I'm a big fan of a line that, I mean, there is much that is wrong with Western medicine, but there is, there is, I like the diagnosis model that, like a doctor friend of mine says, correct diagnosis is a first step toward proper treatment. And if we can't, another way to say this is, you know, the, the old uh, AA thing about the, the first step is to recognize there's a problem. So we, as you know, long before I wrote this book, a line I was saying is, I was, I was asking, what do all the so-called solutions to global warming have in common? And what they all have in common is they take industrial capitalism as a given, and the natural world is having to conform to industrial capitalism. And that's literally insane in terms of being out of touch with physical reality, because without a natural world, you don't have any social system whatsoever. And yes, salmon, you know, are beautiful and wonderful, and they should exist for their own sake. And same with polar bears and North Atlantic right whales. And both of us are completely biocentric. But that doesn't alter the fact that without a planet, we don't have any social system either. So that's that's where it um, it's not only uh, ecocidal, but it's also in the end, suicidal to to not not attend. So the first thing, or the most important thing, I think we need to do is to make our loyalty back to the natural world, and then and then we start to figure out what to do about various problems after that. And you may have a different answer. Well, I like the answer that there's an environmental philosopher, Kathleen Dean Moore, because everyone always asks her, "Well, what can one person do?" And she always says, "Don't be one person." Like you have to join a movement. That's the only thing that's going to fix this. We're never, there aren't 10 simple things you can do to save the planet. Like it was a complete, you know, derail for, for the environmental movement to ever go there. And it let us get hijacked into these completely insane solutions. Um, it, I mean, these are m just massive, absolutely rabid systems of power that are devouring our planet as we watch. And the only thing that's going to stop them is all of us together standing up and saying no. So that means we need to take back our movement first. Yeah, I think to me, to some extent, it's inevitable what's going to happen. <clears throat> There's finite resources and it's inevitable. So the question becomes, and I think I did see this towards the end of the book was, what is this planet going to look like when the industrialization period is over? Because, you know, we see all these people in, especially in partisan politics, where they talk about things like, you know, AI and the, the robotics and all of this stuff taking over. And I'm thinking, uh, yeah, no, we're going to go back to fighting over clean water and not having power. So I don't know who's powering those robotics, but right. Like, like to me, I think the people that are capable of understanding off-grid living and small sustainable communities, and those are the people that are going to be okay. The people that are these coastal elites and high rises, they're all going to die with the zombies. Yeah. I mean, those high rises are going to be completely uninhabitable the moment there's no air conditioning. So once right. the electricity goes down, I, nobody's going to walk into those buildings. They're just going to be a nightmare. So yeah. I've written more than 25 books, and 
um, if I had to sum them all up in, I think, one sentence with a semicolon, it would be, this way of living won't last forever, semicolon. Mm -hmm. When it's done, I would prefer that there's more of the wild, well, more of the world left rather than less. And you would think that if you have a way of life that is demonstrably destroying wild nature, you would ask yourself, what are things going to be like for those living in the not very distant future? And um, I think it's a reasonable question. And I would love it if we were putting our, uh, you know, we consider ourselves to be really intelligent as a species. And I would love it if we were using our intelligence to try to figure out how to, it's like, Every cell in my body wants for us to have a voluntary transformation to a sane and sustainable way of living. I don't believe it's going to happen, but we could. I'm going to switch and do one more story here, which is when I was a kid, um, I was very messy. And my mom would tell me to clean my room and I wouldn't do it. And then she would tell me to clean my room and I wouldn't do it. She would tell me to clean my room and she would say, if you don't clean it by dinner, I'm going to clean it. And if I clean it up, you're not going to like it because I'm throwing everything away. And in many ways, that's what we face right now is we can try to clean up our own messes or we can let nature do it. And if we let nature do it, we're not going to like it because it's not going to be pretty. We're seeing it. We're, we're seeing, seeing that here. I mean, you know, we had down in, in what was our congressional district until redistricting a building collapsing in Surfside two summers ago. Um, and, and now they've evacuated a whole bunch of buildings that are not, a, not that are deemed unsafe, but yet nobody's going to invest in them and build that. Like th these people are going to be climate refugees. That's what's going to happen because they're going to lose all the value of their conduct. They're not going to be able to make any money on selling their places. They're going to have nowhere to go. Yeah. And 80% of the population of the world lives within what, 50 miles of a coast. It's going to be entirely climate refugees. And yeah, you know, the most Americans, the, the, their wealth is just their house, is invested in, you know, yeah. owning a house or a condo or whatever. And it's going to be utterly useless. It's all going to be underwater. And there's a lot of places already where you can't get insurance. I was just in Florida visiting somebody and she cannot get insurance where she lives because of the flooding, the, yeah. the hurricanes and stuff. It's just, it's already happening. Like the insurance companies know about it. That's why you can't get insurance there. Yeah, and um, I get really I get really tired of hearing people say that climate change isn't real. You know, listen, just because the sea <laughs> level has not risen 15 feet above your head doesn't mean that this isn't real. And if you just look around at what the insurance companies are saying, like they are saying here in Florida, it's very real and they don't want to take on the risk anymore. The cost right. benefit analysis of insuring a coastline property, especially in the Miami area, is suicide especially anything past this next decade. And yet when I hear people talk about, oh, it's, well, while the buildings are still standing, our climate change must be a hoax. Again, is there doomsday hyperbole that is espoused by certain people in the climate movement? Yes, absolutely. Is the earth still going to be standing a decade from now, 50 years from now? Yes. But do you think you're going to be able to inhabit any of these, you know, coastline, high-rise apartments like the one that collapsed in Surfside, 
It's just a matter of when the next one falls. And the reason that one fell is because of saltwater erosion from sea level rise. I think really what the earth is very angry with us and rightfully so. And I think that eventually it's just going to shake us off because this is just like ridiculous. Talking like, uh, talking like uh, Mr. Carlin there. Well, okay. So, yeah. But so what I want to talk about in, in the book is, yeah, you go through each thing like solar and wind, but and, and, and to kind of consolidate them, when we hear a lot of people, progressives, which I was part of, I'm like in that group where we're saying, oh, everybody, we just need a Green New Deal and we need to switch over to renewable energy. And and that's the general line. I mean, we hear it over and over again. What do you think is the best way to sort of address that without having to go through each individual? This is what's wrong with wind. This is what's wrong with hydro. This is, you know, like what's the best way to sort of address that kind of naivete about the Green New Deal ideas? The biggest problem is not rational, it's emotional. And it's because everybody is attached to this way of life, mostly because it's all we've ever known. Um, I will absolutely grant that it has given us an abundance of goods that nobody in the past, I mean, the, the pharaohs of Egypt and the emperors of Rome could not have imagined you know, the glut of stuff that we have. Uh, so and we're talking to somebody in Florida. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, like yeah. live over something that is magic. None of us even know how it works. But I could buy this for $1,000 and now I can talk to you. Um, and it's just, it's crazy, right, what we've been able to do. But, it, you know, it's come at a huge price. Um, the, the values of industrial civilization are things like speed and ease and comfort and these are not the values that most people have, most humans have had, you know, over the last, whatever, 2 million years that there have been people. These were not things that we actually valued. You know, we valued things like uh, long-term stability and care for each other um, and our spiritual connection, connection to the cosmos. It had nothing to do with the kinds of values that we live with now, which is to say that this stuff didn't even make us happy. We wrecked the planet over it. We destroyed human civilization over it, human culture over it. And you know, what, what are we going to have left at the end of the day? I mean, that life only evolved in a really narrow range of, um, you know, physical conditions. And we may blow past that. Uh, the amount of carbon that has now entered the atmosphere, it, it may be too late to draw that back down. We, we may still, we could still maybe do it, but, um, you know, every institution's headed in the wrong direction. And past a certain point, the plants just stop growing. Um, and then what? You know, you've got no oxygen. Yeah. So... Well, I think that was huge, the deforestation. I think that was the one thing that I, made me feel somewhat hopeful is that there are things that we can do yeah. that can help that are real things. And the and talk a little bit about that, like the, the, the reforestation and what that means. And also, and we've covered this before about the regenerative grazing agriculture. Yeah, yeah. Um, we have covered that a few times, but it's always worth you know, talking about that, how it could, we could have this, like where it works. Yeah. So it, you have to understand the nature of nature, <laughs> which is that it's perennial polycultures integrated with animals. So what that means is lots of different plants that live a really long time. And there are always animal, there's an animal cohort that goes with every biome, right? So if you want to talk about grasslands, um, these are the creatures together, the grasses and the ruminants that can store an incredible amount of carbon really quickly because the thing that they do best is they build soil and the basic building block of soil is carbon. Okay, so just remember that because that really that's the, the best hope that I have 
to, to turn this around. And so one statistic is um, if you, if we were to take all the trashed out grasslands around the world, and the thing to remember is that they've been destroyed by agriculture, right? That all of this problem goes back to yeah. agriculture, right? Yeah. We did, we started to do this one thing in about 14 places around the world. Monoculture. Country. It was over from that point forward. It was, the end was written into the beginning. Yeah. It's an inherently destructive way of life. It wrecked our health. It wrecked our societies. It wrecked the planet. But if we were to take all that land that's been trashed by annual, annual grain, which is very addictive, that's why we did it. But if we were to take all that land and let the grasses come home with their ruminant cohort, um, it would take about 12 years, but we could conceivably um, sequester all the carbon that's been re um, released into the atmosphere since the beginning of the industrial age. So since the year 1800. Um, so that could be done. And we don't even really have to do anything. We just have to get out of the way. That's the most important part, really. We don't know how to do this. I mean, we're humans. We, we have a role to play in these biomes, but we're not the ones who do that, okay? It's the grasses and the ruminants and the bacteria inside the ruminants. Those are the three creatures that make this possible. And they could, in fact, sequester that much carbon by building that much topsoil. But nobody's, it's like, there's no large institution on the planet that's heading in that direction. None of the governments are, not the UN, not the you know the World Health Organization, not the corporations, certainly. Um, you've got wonderful farmers the world over who have figured this out. You know, they've learned from each other yeah. um, how to go back to grass-based farming. And you can buy your food from these people. And that's a great thing to do if you want, like, what can I do as an individual? Well, this is actually one thing you can do, um, but it needs to be way bigger than that. Like we really, really, we need to take away all the subsidies from the annual grains. It's killing us. It's what's making everybody, you know, sick with cancer and diabetes and the children and all the right, well, all the problems that we can see with our eyes, what's happened to the American public um, and put all that money back to, 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 to doing the repair. Um, this could still be done. Like there's yeah. not any physical reason that we couldn't do it. It's entirely political. And that's right. where the hope lies because we could do it. So for the, for the, can you give like a 30 second version of actually what physically happens to make the soil? Why do, why do ruminants and grasses, why does that make soil? The poop. Well, it's the hooves in the poop. <laughs> hooves and poop. We I, we had us we had um Kirsten Olson on with oh, yeah. About, with yeah. Um, I okay, first heard her book. She explained it very well, but please explain it. She said hooves and poop, but please. That's a that's a great deal of it. Um, so grasses are grasses because they're not trees, and the reason that they're not trees is because there's not enough water. Okay, so where the water dries out across every continent, what you have instead is grasslands. Um, and grasses do this amazing thing, which is that most of their bodies are underground because that's where there's still some moisture across that long, hot summer. And because it's underground, they have these incredible root systems because that's their bodies. And because they have these really deep root systems, they make a lot of soil. So they do a bunch of things and they do them really well. One is that the roots themselves make channels that the rain can physically enter. That's how the rain gets into the ground. And you have seen this yourself. If you go anywhere in your neighborhood and you see flattened, dry mud, just, you know, that cars drive over or whatever, um, and it rains, it'll just be a puddle. It'll be a pool. It'll be a flood. Look next door and you and even just regular old grass that people have grown for their front lawns, like not even particularly good kind of grass for, you know, your biome. It doesn't matter. It's a perennial plant there will not be standing water. You know this is true. You've seen it. 
And that's why is because the roots themselves are what let the water physically enter the soil. So now you've got this great big sponge and because it's so deep with soil, this will last for months. So it fills up during the rain, you know, as or as the snow melt happens. And then over that long summer period, the grasses will slowly use that water. And they, they bring that up to keep their bodies alive and to keep the rest of the terrestrial life there alive. So they do all of that for us. Um, they also, um, they're the creatures that can eat rock and make minerals available to the rest of the living community. You and I are not gonna eat rocks for breakfast. We know this, you're not gonna eat a rock. But plants do this and they do it in concert with bacteria. So they can actually reach down into the bedrock. They're deep enough down there. Um, and then they have specific bacteria that the bacteria actually makes acid and that makes the, you know, breaks up the rock for it. And then they exchange a sugar and then the bacteria says, great, you can have this mineral, I'll take the sugar. And then the plant draws it up and the rest of us in one way or another eat it. So they do that as well. And then they just build soil. They're literally, you know, the, the matrix that holds it in place. And you can see pictures from the first day of the Dust Bowl. What happened when those roots were dug up? We're using the, 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 those original steel plows, which is just an absolute nightmare for the planet. Um, all that soil, there were farms in South Dakota lost all their soil in one day, one day from the wind. Um, anyway, and then the role that ruminants play, you, you, without ruminants, you just end up with desert. You have to have the, the grazing animals on it. And the reason is because the plants themselves, they can't, they can't degrade as they, um, you know, as their bodies die. You need the grazing action of the, of the animals to do that. And so if you look at a cow or a bison, you know, it looks like they're eating grass. They're not actually. What they're doing is very fascinating. They're feeding that grass to the bacteria inside their rumen. So they have a very specific kind of stomach. They have four, four chambered stomach and it's very neutral pH. Ours are very acid, we can't do this. Theirs are very neutral and it's so that they have, it's a fermentative vat of bacteria. So they're actually taking that cellulose, which has almost no nutrients in it, feeding it to the bacteria. And the bacteria are actually the creatures that can break it down but it's too hot outside and too dry. So they long, millions of years ago, made an arrangement with these ruminants that, um, you know, it's a symbiotic relationship. So the ruminants, you know, the, the cows and the bison are carrying around these bacteria inside their bodies, protecting them, keeping them at the right temperature, the right pH, the right moisture, keeping them alive and feeding them. And in exchange, what they get is actually nutrients. The cows are not actually eating the grass. They're eating the byproducts of the bacteria, which is a high fat, high protein diet, um, and also the bodies of the bacteria themselves, they're also eating that. So that's what cows are actually eating, um, but they're feeding, it's like they're farming, essentially, they're farming the bacteria. And that's what keeps the entire life of a grassland, in fact, living. Because right. without those ruminants, you just get a desert because that's what keeps the cycle moving. The, all, those whole, all those nutrient cycles um, have to happen you know, through the body of the ruminant. So you take the ruminants off, you just end up with desert, and then eventually everything dies, including the plants. So you have to have all of them. And, and this, I mean, really, this, what this means is that none of us are who we are without our community. We evolved together over millions of years. People talk about the web of life. It really is just a series of, so a bunch of humans came along and wrecked it. <laughs> Not every human, there's still like 28 tribes of hunter gatherers out there doing their thing, but mostly we all got on board one way or another, whether it was through violence and genocide and imperialism, 
we all got conquered or whether we were some of the original people who did it. It was a very bad plan. We've destroyed the planet. We've wrecked the soil, which is the basis of life itself. Every single day, 200 species go extinct on this planet, 200 species. And it's mostly because of this, because we took up this way of life that was inherently destructive and meant every single day we had to take more just to keep our heads above. So it was a bad idea. You go ahead. Well, I want to go back to the whole notion of, uh, of, again, we don't really need to do a lot of the repair work. I think bodies are amazing things. And, you know, I can get a cut and I don't have to do anything. The body heals itself. And, but the, the body can only do that if you haven't actually killed it. It only has those regenerative powers to a certain point. There, it used to be believed that one unit of pollution would cause one unit of damage. Or if you go into a forest, one cutting one tree would cause one unit of damage and cutting, cutting a thousand trees would cause a thousand units of damage. And it's all very linear, but that's not how things work at all. Um, the way things work is that um, the forest will try to repair itself or the river or the marshland or the body, the individual body, will try to repair itself and will keep trying to stay at this healthy state until at some point it's overwhelmed and then completely collapses. And so there could be somebody take one tree out of a forest and it doesn't actually cause one unit of damage, but, but at a certain point, the entire forest collapses. And the good news is that, which is how it works in actually, frankly, relationships too, where, you know, it's like, at a, at a certain point, you know, you try to maintain the relationship and then there's the straw that breaks the camel's back. You know, one little itty bitty thing is like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm out. I'm, I'm breaking up with you because. <laughs> that you left your shoes on the floor one more time. Yeah. Like, you know, it can be a trivial more. thing, but, yeah. but it's, 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 it's this, like years of buildup. Yeah. yeah. And so the, the, the good news about all this is that the rest of nature is much like grasslands in that we really need to get out of the way. Like peat mosses, peat bogs protect or they, they sequester tremendous amounts of carbon. And peat bogs have been destroyed all over the world. Um, they're mined for, for, to burn um, because they're so carbon rich. They're mined for gardening materials. Anyway, the way you repair a peat bog is, is incredibly difficult. <laughs> um, all you do is, is they had to drain the water out. So you, you plug the drains. And the peat bog starts coming back. Um, and forests. Um, you know what you really have to do with forests? Leave them alone. That's, them alone. that's, that's it. They, the forest knows <laughs> how to grow how to itself. As long as it's not pushed too far. Yeah. Let me um, ask you guys this, though. I mean, the one thing that I think that is, you know, unrealistic to think is, is that we're not going to have mass transit. And that to me seems like one of those things where let's say we all were living in small sustainable communities. Like in my dream, I live in a small place and have chickens and have the woods and I'm very content that way. But, you know, the idea of not having like a high speed rail or having something like that or any mechanism, at least between now and when we get to there not being any more power and we're in the Mad Max universe, like what is some thoughts as to, you know, how to talk to people about better ways to go about doing what we're doing? 
Why don't you interview with me? Yes, go for it. So, (laughs) So several years ago, I got interviewed by this guy from Nature Magazine who was a dedicated Marxist who believed that it was possible to have an industrial society based purely on voluntary exchanges in which no one is ever, no human is ever exploited. He didn't care about the natural world at all. I mean, it's interesting nature magazine. But <laughs> so, so he thought this was possible. So I said, okay, great. So um, do you have cities? He said, yes. I said, so in these cities, how do you get around? He said, buses. I said, so what are your buses made of? He said, metal. I said, great. So how do you get people to work in the mines? And he said, well, you just pay them a lot. I said, well, mining is really a terrible existence and it's one of the first forms of slavery, but I'm going to grant you that one, that sure, you can just pay them a lot to spend their lives underground. Um, But every hard rock mine on the planet, every single one pollutes groundwater. So what do you do about the people who live next to the river that flows next to this mine? What do you do about them? He said, we pay them to move. I said, what if they won't move? He should pay them more. I said, well, what if they have been living there for 5,000 years, their ancestors are buried there, and they refuse to move? He said, well, how many of them are there? I said, I don't know, 500? He said, okay, well, the million people in the city vote, and they vote that the 500 people have to leave that land, and then you kick them off. I said, ah, so what you've done is you've gone from purely voluntary exchanges within less than a minute. You've gone from purely voluntary exchanges to democratic en- empire, land theft from indigenous people, and probably genocide all so you can have a bus. And this is one of the main points. Oh, and that's not the main point of the book. But one of the main points of the book, and I'm going to turn it back over to you, is that you can't have that that technologies come in suites and you can't have you can't have a mass transit system without having the energy infrastructure to power it without having the mining infrastructure to build it without having a military infrastructure to take the land to to put the mine in the first place and without a police system to make sure nobody steals the rails at every at every point along the way which do you want to go to Mumford? Oh, you go. You no, you, you go ahead. No, go for Mumford. Well, I would just say that the only reason we don't know this is because we live behind a military barricade, and all of this is being done for us, and we don't really want to know. It's not like anybody's telling us. We have to go out and search for this information, but it is there. Um, you can certainly observe it with your own eyes if you really want to see it, but like he just said, you, you can't have any of that stuff without gutting the planet and the people who are still trying to live in place on the planet that i mean the the oldest mines in the world are still absolutely toxic waste dumps you know from the the ancient greeks on forward you still can't grow things where those mines were um, because they're so toxic and there's there's no way around this it's what they are it's what they do it's a a geologic time scale is the only way that they're ever going to heal and all of these green technologies just uh, all they are is just declarations of more more war on the planet they just want more and more and more mines you see you see news articles all the time these days about how um we might have to make some sacrifices in the deep ocean to because there's lots of mining deposits down there and so there there need to be some sacrifices made it's like the problem is you notice that it's always the earth that is being asked to sacrifice 
It's not what is not negotiable. The and the whales and the dolphins that are going to be sacrificed. It's not humans that are going to be sacrificed. No, I can't. Even, I see people not even willing to sacrifice seasonal fruits. Um, right. I, I'm in places where people are upset that they can't get what they like that serve farm to table and people want what they want when they want it, even though it's not in season. But if, if you want strawberries, when you want strawberries, well, then they need to come from El Salvador. That's just the way it's got to go. You know, I mean, that to me, to me, those are the kinds of sacrifices that I think of that are small things, but like people just live like they take that for granted so much. And the more we can sort of live within seasons and in smaller places, like I just think that would be better. Um, but people won't even sacrifice what, what they eat for a season. Which feels kind of hopeless. Like if we're not even getting them strawberries to save the planet, what like right. what, what are there? I know they're inedible little pieces of red styrofoam, but Milford, I think, is No, Peter, what were you gonna another say? part? I'm sorry, go ahead. It doesn't matter. Go ahead. Continue. There's there's another piece of the puzzle here that that I I really like, which is Lewis Mumford in nineteen sixty four wrote an essay called Authoritarian Democratic Techniques. And one of his arguments is that technologies don't emerge in a vacuum and that a certain mindset will lead to a certain technology, which will then lead to a certain mindset. And he called that surrounding social structure and technology a technic, T-E-C-H-N-I-C. And an example of, of how a technology can change your your uh, your mindset is that I live two miles from the grocery store and there have been any number of times where I've driven to the grocery store. I get home. I forgot one thing. I just drive back to the grocery store. It's not a big deal. But if I had to walk that two miles, I would make a list and I would check it five times before I walk the two miles home. So having this sort of rapid transportation changes our perspective on that's just one small thing. It can change our perspective on everything, everything. And he talked about how there are what he called authoritarian and democratic techniques. And a democratic technique is one that arises from and leads to democratic power structures. And an authoritarian technique is one that arises from and leads to authoritarian power structures. An example of a democratic technique would be basket weaving, because anybody can do it. Nobody can control your access to reads. You, you might do it poorly. Some people can do it much better than others. But nonetheless, you anybody can do it. And it can even be a violent thing. A bow and arrow is still a, a democratic technique because anybody can make one. A gun, on the other hand, it's not the fact that you kill with it. That's not the point. A gun, on the other hand, is an authoritarian technique because even if you have a gun, somebody can control your access to gunpowder, to the metals to the mine. So any mining thing is an authoritarian technique because it requires somebody to be forced into the mines. And he calls them authoritarian techniques because they lead to these authoritarian power structures. You need a military in order to get access to the oil that you need to run your economy. You need a police system to protect all of these things. All of those come as a suite. But they're authoritarian not only because of that, but also because they end up in charge. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but think about it. Are cities designed for human beings or are cities designed for cars? Or a better example, do governments take better care of human beings or they take better care of corporations? 
Well, that's that's one of the key things we talk about here. Like that is what we're doing on this show. I mean, we do talk a whole bunch of topics, you know, but we are predominantly transforming politics in the service because the biggest problem is that corporations have taken over our entire government. They've taken over everything. And so that is ultimately what we're fighting. Like I say it all the time, we can talk about these issues. But until we have representatives that are not on the special interest corporate payrolls, none of these things are going to change. We're just going to keep circling a drain and arguing amongst the, ourselves. You know, so it's it's politics is is the problem because these are all choices. Yeah, and you're never going to elect. This is it's just like this vicious circle because you're never going to elect anybody who will tell the truth to the American people. And this way of life is over. There were maybe three generations of people who were ever going to get to experience it. The party's over. Like it's done. We've used up all the stuff that there was. You know, we're done. Uh, and we've certainly used up most of the energy that you know the easily available energy. And there's not really a replacement for it. So, I mean, it just we have to face the facts, and nobody's willing. Um, and I love what James Howard Kunstler says, that we have to be reality-based adults because almost nobody is willing to do that. Well, remember, remember how much they pitched a fit when all Jimmy Carter did was wear a sweater. Put on a sweater. Put on a sweater. And, and we ended up with eight years of Reagan. <laughs> um, and so, so I, I, I want to say one more thing about this, and I'll, I'll drop the Mumford thing, which is I want you to take over with the Magnificent Bride part now that I've set it up. You don't mind. <laughs> um, that Mumford asked the question, how is it that we have surrendered so easily to these authoritarians with the modern authoritarianism? And um, he said the answer is that what he calls a magnificent bribe, that instead of sort of a half-baked authoritarian system where they only use sticks to beat you down if you disagree with them. They've decided that they're going to co-opt us by giving us all sorts of goodies. And, you know, that, that's modern medicine. It's uh, strawberries in January. It's all forms of entertainment, forms of which entertainment. are just bigger and crazier every year, more and more circuses. And the, the super duper Super Bowl and the... March Madness, which I will certainly be watching tomorrow. Um, you know, there's all this, all of these. He says, basically, we have given up the planet and given up everything in exchange for this bribe. And, and he said, it's 1964. He says, point blank, life itself will not survive, is the quote from that from that essay, which I highly recommend everybody read. It's very short. He saw it. He saw it was 10 pages. He saw it in 19. I was born in 1964. <laughs> he saw that in 1964. He saw how, and computers hadn't really been invented yet. He saw it all coming. And the, the he, he wished that his epitaph would read, here lies the most foolish man ever. Who's he wanted every to be wrong. He wanted to be so wrong. And he was, he, he, he had no idea. He how his he wildest dreams. He was so right about all of it. Now there's people dreaming that we're going to upload ourselves into computers and live forever. Like that's how completely crazy. I would like to hear what you guys have to say to the average American consumer, including a couple of our friendly dorks in the chat who seem to think that you guys are just nuts. Um, so it, I don't, I don't, I'm with you. Yeah. Well, again, it's, it's, it, it, you seem nuts now because the world isn't collapsing on itself at the moment, but I mean, that could obviously change in the not too distant future. I do think we are facing a number of problems. Um, there is an older generation 
particularly in our country, as well as in China and probably various parts of the world that are going to be dead within the next, you know, probably 10, 15 years. And so their attitude is basically, well, I'm not going to be here to see it. So I have no desire to make any changes at all. So is there any type of transition that we can make? I mean, I know we've talked about nuclear as an option in terms of a carbon footprint reduction away from, you know, obviously any type of drilling any type of, uh, you know, coal or natural gas uh, extraction. I'm wondering where you guys stand in terms of our ability to, I don't want to say delay the inevitable, but, you know, at least try to, you know, pull it back a little bit to at least see if we can start finding some solutions, you know, doing things in one fell swoop. That doesn't work for the average person. But if there's anything we can do to start pulling it back, I think that's going to be the key to having any type of success. Your thoughts on that? If, if they made me, if they put me in charge of the economy, I would not, uh, I would not deindustrialize overnight. I would do it in a series of stages. I would uh, get rid of, I love sports, but I would get rid of retractable stadium roofs the first day. Um, in municipal golf well, courses. Well, I'm, a, I'm a sports guy here, so I need uh -oh. to explain why retractable roofs are bad because I was not aware of that. Oh, it's just, it's just, it, they're unnecessary. It's, it's a, it's a ridiculous waste, it's a of, ridiculous energy. waste of energy. That's or all. Nothing. Or literally nothing. Opening and closing them, I would imagine requires a hell of a lot of energy extraction. It, 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 metal, yeah. Know? I mean, but it's, I mean, that's, that's a, that's a, a trivial a example. For just yeah, ridiculous was, stuff that we're just doing. ridiculous stuff. Like another Crazy. example is that golf courses use as much water as municipal humans. So they talk about the color 25% of the rivers in the world no longer reach the ocean. And people say, oh, you got to take shorter showers. It's like humans use about 4% of the water that's used by industrial society. 96% is used by agriculture and industry. And so your shorter shower makes no difference. Yeah. So, Thank so, you. Thank yeah. you. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. So, and what is it? It's misdirection. Yeah. Because it's. So we don't think about the larger systems. We don't think about the larger uses. And so if, if I were in charge, I would get rid of uh, alfalfa in. Arizona. I would get rid of orange groves in Arizona. I would get rid of golf courses. I mean, I would, and, and then, of course, I would be shot. You're totally um, not going to get very far. So the, my, my point is that my point is golf courses never happening. <laughs> exactly. Well then, well, then we have no hope then, right? Well, if we can't get this is exactly the same as the strawberry the, thing. What a fluff that, you know, people are attached to. If we can't even get rid of that to save the planet, what hope have we got? Well, you also have to remember the thing about golf courses. They're for the rich and for the people who want to pretend that they're rich. And we've yeah, got no, a hell of a lot of them in this country and yeah, around the world, but especially in this country. Uh, getting rid of golf courses, you've got to... <clears throat> You, you got to put that one way at the back. <laughs> That's another Carlin. That was another Carlin thing that he mocked um, relentlessly were golf courses and cemeteries as wastes of space. Um, and I, I remember that that bit. Where are you guys? Because we're in South Florida. So we're like at ground zero. We're in Northern California, way Northern California on the coast. Redwoods. So we're in, oh, we're that's in the tsunami. Lovely. Is that lovely? You, the Redwoods. We're in the Redwoods. Yeah. <sighs> Oh, that sounds so. It's, I want to be. It's beautiful. Trees. It's beautiful. And it's a question as to whether this land will be underwater because the elevation, not of the city itself, but the elevation right here is somewhere between 18 and 30 feet. So could have. It may well be underwater in 20 well, years. I don't know. Well, you guys could fall off. You guys could have like a like an earthquake in Tahoe. <laughs> the ocean so what do we say? What do we say? 
to the people who think we're kooks? I don't really know how to talk to people like that. It's so, it's been obvious to me since I was four years old that we were wrecking the planet. Okay. I don't, I don't know how to talk to people who don't mourn what we've yeah. lost. Want to fight for it. I don't understand them. Well, listen, you know, there's here's, a some, lot here's of, something I can say. Maybe you can talk to them okay. better. Here's something I can say is I became an environmentalist in second grade when they put in a subdivision next to where I lived. And as a seven-year-old, I recognize, I, I, I asked, this is the language I used then. Where will the meadowlarks go? Where will the cottonwood trees go? Where will the garter snakes go? That's the language I had. The language I didn't have, but the understanding I did have, is you can't have finite growth. Or you can't have infinite growth on a finite planet. Yeah. So I think anybody who believes you can have infinite growth on a finite planet, that is a kook. So if they agree with me, if they think, yeah, you're kooky for wanting to end it now, but but they agree that you can't have infinite growth on a finite planet, then we can start having real conversations about, okay, how much of the planet are you willing to give up in order to maintain this way of living for another generation or two? And we can have that discussion and I'm not willing to give up any. And that's, you can call me a kook for that and I'll, I'll take it, but uh, the, the place I would start is by recognizing that a growth economy is literally insane, literally insane on a finite planet. This only worked when we had new frontiers. We don't. And we took it all. And now they're talking about going. Oh, to no, no, no. You guys are wrong. There is plenty of frontier up in the frozen Arctic of Alaska with the Willow Project. We're just going to drill the shit out of this planet even more. Yeah. Come on. Get with the program. Come on, just vote for a Democrat. It'll solve all the problems. If we let Trump in there, we might actually pay attention and not let the Willow Project go. It's, uh, well, that's that's an example of just, you know, you're just asking for, you know, the, the total destruction of this planet to happen. If you go forward with something like the Willow Project, I mean, honestly, I I have no sympathy anymore. I really don't. It's, (laughs) They're just asking for it at this point. Well, and we're eating the future. So if any of these people who want to call me a kook have children, I what what are, what are your children going to do? There might not be oxygen. Like, what, what are they going to do? We're consuming everything, you know, up many generations forward. Yeah. Every day this goes on, there's less and less for the children and the grandchildren. So if you don't care about, I mean, you've got to care. There's got to be something you love. There has to be something you love. Like, why don't you want to fight for it? I love the movie Trip to Bountiful, which is about this old woman who she's 80 or something. And she wants to go back one more time to the place where she grew up. And and so they go and it takes place outside of Houston and Texas. And it's set in the 50s. And there is no way that movie could be made today because I mean, no way that movie could be set today because. I don't know anybody who wants to go back. If they grew up in the country, they don't want to go back. I don't want to grow, go back to where I grew up because it's it's city now. When my mom was a little girl, she used to get on a cow and ride the cow across a pasture to her grandma's house. And she'd climb a fence and then hop on the cow's back when she was four. And I have been to where my mom grew up and there are nothing but shopping malls and residential neighborhoods as far as yeah there's not the only cows there are on styrofoam 
And nobody wants to go back to where they grew up because every place is being destroyed. And that can't go on forever. Do you have the numbers from the book for like what percentage of the land ma- of the, the mass, the, the zoomass is human? Well, the one statistic that I read just this week of all the mammals on the planet, only 4% of them are wild. 96% are either humans or our domesticates. So only 4% is wild. wild. Yeah, that's it. So that's what we've done. And if anybody thinks this can go on, they're the kook. Yeah. Um, another statistic, if you take all the, the mass of every living creature on the planet and you weigh it. Excluding bacteria. And, you, and, you, and then you compare that. Know, including bacteria. Including literally everything. And then you compare that to what's called the technosphere. So all the stuff that humans have made, the cement, the cell phones, the televisions, the books, the furniture, the car, everything, roads, everything. You add all that together, the technosphere weighs seven times more than the living mass of the planet. We are literally turning this planet into a garbage dump machine. Wow. Yeah, well, we, I'm a cook, though, because I, I would like life to continue. No, we do have a we, we have a garbage dump in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. That's yes, as big as Texas. Uh, yeah. You know, again, it's it's not a question of is life on this planet going to basically force us into Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome uh, tomorrow? No. But is it going to happen? And could it happen in our lifetimes? Yes, it could. And the second it does happen. You know, everyone's going to be looking around thinking, well, if I have to kill you to get that water because it's the only way I can survive, then I'm going to kill you. And that's what we're heading towards. So I I really think that if there are any humans alive 100 years from now, you can use your line. I'm not stealing it. Um, (laughs) If there's any humans alive 100 years from now, they're going to look at us and say, you had lightweight waterproof containers and you threw them away what were you thinking right um or they'll also be i wonder what was wrong with us that we didn't fight like hell when the planet was going down i mean you that's going to be their main question what was wrong with these people i don't know I think it's it's the water in the members trees. of congress who are too comfortable in their position now to remember why they got there in the first place you know i i I knew this woman when I lived in Spokane, Washington, who was deciding whether or not to run for state senator. She had a very safe state representative spot, and she was going to risk it to run for state senator. And I knew her politics, and they were quite good. And I said, I'm going I, – I told her to do whatever she wants. And then also I said, I'm going to follow your career because I know you're a good person, and if you end up – like every other politician, I will know that it's not merely the bad people going to politics, that there is something else that happens in the process. And she continues to be a state senator. And um, even as long as 10 years ago, which was only after she'd been in office for 10 years or so, 15 years, uh, she no longer took environmentalist phone calls. So it's like- It had already happened. It had happened. Um, yeah. They cross and, over. People cross over. It seems to one? get. It seems to get. But something that I think in the very beginning of the book that really spoke to me was, and I don't know. Forgive me that I don't know who was writing what. 
You know what I'm saying? And I was doing the audio, so I'm all kinds of jumbled. But the whole idea, and this is very important to me, and I had a whole day-to-day like amongst the trees. Um, I'm a tree person. So like I actually talk to trees. I don't think that's crazy. So all right, well, whatever you could think I'm crazy. But the but the thing that really spoke to me is how we think of inanimate objects and how we don't give things that aren't sentient or our perception of sentient the same level of respect. Like we it's I hate to use terms like labels like speciesist or whatever, but like that's one of the biggest problems is the perception of what of the living world is that it's, you know, it's not, it's for us to use. It's not respected. And I I think that it's so important to point that out, you know, as much as we can. And, and, you know, it's, it's not easy to explain it to people when we've been so propagandized otherwise to see everything as for commodification. Yes, that's absolutely key. It's absolutely central until very recently in human history, you know, people might've had various versions of this, but our basic, you know, the framework of every culture was that the entire cosmos was just a series of relationships and that you could enter into good relationship with anything, with stars, with rivers, with wolves, you know, with literally anything that you could see was a being like yourself in some way. Communication was possible and respectful communication was our job. That was what made life good, was if you were in right relationship to everything. Um, you know, from the micro to the macro. And then another way of life comes along. And for a few thousand years, there's been this other thing where every time you look around, you know, whatever you see, it's there for you to use. And that includes other humans. Um, And it's not about right relationship. It's about what can I get out of this thing that I'm going to call a thing and it's an object. It's no longer, you know, a being like myself who deserves respect, maybe from another nation, but still a being much like me. We can communicate in some way. Uh, that's over. So now it's all about relationships of domination and hierarchy and ultimately exploitation. And that's where we are now. So that has got to be reversed somehow. We've got to come back into right relationship or it's all it's all going to be for nothing. Yeah. This is why I'm always talking about like most things indigenous and why I like that so much. Whatever, you know, basically on any continent, it seems to me that when we destroy that, and of course we know that that gets back to like bringing in monocropping and all that stuff, and and obviously those are the ways that are that are destructive. Um, very funny, Baldwin Orange. Nobody's talking about entering a good relationship with a wolf. These are the kind of smart aleck comments that I'll get. I think wolves are wonderful. No, just have, try to I, enter a good relationship with a wolf. Let me I'm not know. Sure how he that means people have good relationships with wolves. No, I think There's you're all. I, story I, I, after I, story of children going into wolf dens and playing with the pups, and then yeah. coming back out, and then then the adults are like, "Okay, you did that today. That's fine." Right. Um, the wolves don't attack them. It's. Yeah, well, you I didn't, didn't take that as anything other than him. They used to paint the faces on. No, he wasn't. He was joking. Like he's he's joking. Like you know, you talk about humans playing with wolves. I, he was just joking. No, the humans have played with wolves. We're very similar to wolves. That's why we have dogs. Is because we understand each other. Dogs were wolves once. They domesticated themselves to be with us. But it's because we're so similar, we could understand each other. And there's actually very specific things about their brains that are like ours, which pack brains, pack brains. But, well, they do. Well, it's a whole nother thing, but yeah, there's, yeah, a, yeah. there's really interesting things about wolves and humans, but um, there's a part in Fo- Farley Moat's book about, you know, living up in the Arctic circle. And he, um, all the, the indigenous people there are like, Oh, the elk are coming. They're coming. We're so hungry. Yeah. They're coming. He's like, how do you know they're coming? He's like, 
And they're all looking at him like, how do you not know? The wolves just told us. So like, what? Like, listen, the wolves are telling you they'll be here in two days. Two days later, they're the elk. They could understand what the wolves were saying. They see Peter rolling his eyes. He's like, no. Before you go, I would really appreciate if you guys just answer the question regarding nuclear power, because it seems that it's the only grid system that is possible right now to allow for some type of transition away from our current system. If we're ever going to get off of the most destructive type of energy extraction we have on the planet, which of course is hydraulic fracturing and uh, coal extraction, um, it seems to me that that's the only source of energy that we do have. I mean, obviously we have the sun, but we haven't been able to harness it without destroying the planet in the process in order to capture the sun's energy. Uh, Do you see nuclear as an option to transition away from our current fossil fuel uh, demand that we have? No, because you can't build it without fossil fuel, number one. And that's the problem with every single one of these, quote, green technologies. They all require fossil fuel. And this is why Ozzy Zenner says we have fossil fuel an alternative fossil fuel. There's no such thing as alternative mm-hmm. energy. There. Oh, he wrote a great book called um, Green Green Illusions. Yes, that's what it's, I was telling you. Totally with our it's book. Gas to make the stuff like you. You, you got to have fossil fuel it. to do it. You're not going to. No, get if you, you well, okay, but if you, but if you need. And then fossil. there's the problem of why are we making garbage we can't throw away? That stuff. Genetic pollution is forever. Um, oh, it's I, be listen. The idea that we have plastic is insane. Like no, plastic to me is the plastic is number one. Plastic is the easiest thing to get rid of. We don't need it. It was never necessary. It became a commodity for the fossil fuel industry. They figured out a way to screw America and the rest of the world in the process. Everyone knows that plastic is the is the commodity above probably everything else that isn't necessary. And we could end it tomorrow if we really if we just put well, it. Well, I'm going to say the same thing about industrial energy. All of it, including, you know, the nuclear kind is we don't need it. We could get rid of it tomorrow. We lived very happily on this planet for two million years without it. We were, in fact, a lot happier than we are now. Half of Americans have been on an antidepressant in their lives. Half. Well, like, there's we many reasons. The planet, and it didn't even make us happy. No, there's many reasons for that. Not the least of which is the fact that this thing is something that people are literally attached to twenty four seven. Oh, Do you know these statistics yeah. about these young kids? They would most of them would rather lose a finger than lose their soul. Oh, home. yeah. A finger. And what was the, I can't remember the numbers. They were, I don't know the numbers either. But, but They thought their cell phones essentially more important than sunlight. They you do. had a choice between never having sunlight phone. again or never having your phone. They, they, phone. they picked their phone. Well, I blame, well, I also blame a lot of the parents for this, for giving their kids uh, phones during well, the cognitive development years, which is absolutely insane. Oh, I completely agree with you. Yeah. Oh my God. I so agree with you. Just, but yeah. right before we came on, we were talking about this, atrocious video we'd seen where these children are behaving abominably and i I said to leah where did they where did they children were acting out sexually on this video not in the the point is where did they learn it and and leah's like they saw it on tv and i said if i would have been watching something like that when i'm seven my mom would have killed me that but, stuff wasn't on like what i said to him i said there wasn't even on television then where were you You seeing your children from it because it didn't exist. Yeah. That's how insane the culture has gotten with all of this. Yeah. And well, now parents are in this bind that you can't that you <laughs> can't square the circle. Your job is to socialize children so that they can join the world as adults. And then you can't do it because it's so destructive, you have to protect them from the culture, which is a job that can't be done. We're social creatures. They're gonna be absorbed into it. It's not it's not ideal. absolutely you're at absolute at loggerhead. There's no way through this. It's a terrible 
it's a dilemma with no solution because the the culture is so toxic. This is Peter. Why I need to move to the mountains and have my little house with my, my chickens and my goats and a nice little artist co-op, you know, like, cause when this all happens, I'm not going to, I don't want to be on the grid when this all goes down. Well, I think for all those people that just subscribe to our channel, a lot of them will be unsubscribing after they get a hold of this video, but <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, we are not doomsday preppers, but we should. No, but I'm realistic. Day. There's finite yeah. resources. Now, I don't think yes. it's going to happen right now. Like, I don't yeah, think let's just, I mean, honestly, guys, if we just allowed social media to be about dogs and the things that they do every day. Oh, my God, day, I love that dog. You know, that's the only oh thing that's God. really, that's what makes social media great is when you get to see you have four dogs. I have four dogs. I have four great Pyrenees. They look like <gasps> all them are enormous dogs. Like this. Do you? Do they do? Are they working dogs? Do they have outdoor? Well, ones? they were. I had goats for a while, so okay. two of them have been working dogs. The other two are not working dogs. So they're lazy dogs. Anymore. They're lazy. Yeah. Well, dogs. they protect me. See, look, this is a working dog. She's she's got me. Yeah. Well, I say my yeah. dog's always working. She's my emotional support animal. It's well, a very difficult girls. job. Derek and Lear, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. And who is this lovely creature that you brought on? This is Christabel Pankhurst Keith. <laughs> okay, Christabel, you look beautiful. I know I, if I was there, I would be, you know, playing with you and throwing some. We're dog people, totally dog people. Like my know. little, our, show them our mascot is my dog, Lulu. Oh, we have our little Lulu. mascot. She's not in the, the studio right now, but that's her. She's, oh, yeah, Lulu she's my little foofy, froofy. Yeah, thank you guys so much for coming on. I well, really you're welcome. You're very welcome. That was fun. That was fun. Your questions are you're, great. You're normal people. Thank you. I try, and yet people think I'm a wackadoo too. I've been you're called not. communist Karen. You're not. You're just. You, it's just absolutely reality. I don't know what's wrong with everybody else. They don't want to uh, give it up. They don't want to hear it. No, it's inconvenient it. truth. It really I'll is. Think, it's, nobody likes this. Well, people have a hard had a great line. Um, it's hard to make a man understand something when his job depends on him not understanding it. Or as yeah. uh, Mark Twain said, it is uh, easier to fool a man than to convince him he's being fooled. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. That's uh, part and parcel why human uh, existence is probably something that won't last forever, at least in this current incarnation. But with that yeah, said, with we're very grateful that you guys came on. Again, the guys, the book is Bright Green Lies. If you want to know the real truth about where we're heading and why currently it's- It's important. You know, yes. No, no, uh, no, how to live off the grid. If you don't know how to do that, start learning now. Derek Lear, thank you so much. Thank All the you, best. Bro. Thank have you, guys. Evening. Look. I said from the beginning, I told people this is uncomfortable. This is not pleasant because. It undoes the idea that we can just keep going and all those fancy ideas of robotics and technology and that Jetsons kind of future. And like we can just have that if we just switch to other, you know, renewable fuel sources. And the reality is that is not happening. It's not possible. Resources are finite and we're imploding. And the sooner people realize that, the better. And the fact that there are solutions, but people don't want to hear about regenerative, sustaining agriculture and the grazing and the ruminants and all the stuff. But that's what has to happen in reforestation. Yeah, reforestation is definitely a big one. I would say that the first thing that we could do realistically, if we really wanted to get off of fossil fuels and really start making an effort to do regenerative agriculture and all the things that are necessary in order to save the planet, we have to stop producing plastic. That's number one. And I think that that's the most realistic get 
in terms of what you can convince the most people to do right now. If you talk to most people, they have no affinity for plastic. In fact, no, but people, people love modern plastic. convenience. And like you can't watch, you can't be on something like Instagram for a second without some ad for some product that's some plastic something that pops up. That doesn't mean anything. It's a question of there, the technology already exists, whether it's glass, whether it's refined paper, there's a lot of different ways that you can box material if you need to in order to avoid using plastic. Plastic is not only created by fossil fuels, it's not biodegradable. It can't break down. It will always be here. Well, and, and at this point, we're ingesting it like it's in our water. Like sure. at this point, they're finding like microscopic particles in bottled water. They re I just saw something yesterday that they just did a, a test on like some of the more popular bottled water brands. Like it was Aquafina, Dasani, Nestle. And they all had. Glass. That I was. This might be plastic. OK, I don't. No, my, uh, excuse me, my cannabis is not kept in plastic. That's glass. Okay. No. Don't be this, ridiculous. This ashtray? No, that's made out of duct tape. My friend Rachel okay. made that for me. That was creative. This, I'm talking is, about, this is glass. That's glass. This top no, is my plastic. big container is glass. It's glass. That's plastic. Um, that's not what I was just talking about. Stop holding up all my stuff. I'm just saying hemp, absolutely amorous. Hemp absolutely would work. Hemp yeah. actually is the miracle plant of this planet. And it's one of the biggest reasons why the fossil fuel industry moves heaven and earth to make sure that people can't use it because they know just how effective it is. Now, for those of you who obviously know us or are new tonight, Go to patreon.com forward slash generational change for a little as $5 a month. You can become a patron of our channel. You get the Lulu sticker as an intro. That's the Lulu sticker. You are feeling a little bit more considerate and generous at this time. You would like to go for $10 a month. You can get yourself a Lulu sticker and the Mansion Parliamentarian bumper sticker. Of course, we are of the mind that if you're going to elect the president of the United States, that is so split down the middle that one calls themselves a Democrat and is really a Republican, why not put it all together and have Joe Manchin, along with the parliamentarian who apparently is the most powerful person in all the politics, at least according to President Biden and Vice President Harris. Uh, but if you're feeling really, really generous and are considerate enough to become a $25 a month patron, you get the Here Comes the Sun Tri-Blend Generational Change jersey. You are definitely going to want one, as you can see. It's really, really awesome. We're going to get the T-shirts back at some point, guys, so that we have the short sleeve purple tees. So that's our shtick. What do we have coming up? What do we have coming up? Next Monday, we have the new, the new chair of the Florida Democratic Party, Nikki Freed. We are also going to be speaking with friend of the show, Kevin Gostola. His new book is coming out. Uh, which I still haven't gotten. Do you know if it's gotten to my house? Because I'm going to need to like speed read. I don't know. Okay. I don't work here. No, so. you're just there all the time. So you're a Kramer. Can you at least just look and see if the book came for me? Um, Thanks for so, coming, Bill. Appreciate you. Yeah, guys, uh, check out the show on Monday when we've got Kevin Gustola on. He's an actual journalist. We do like to highlight those people. Uh, he has his new book coming out about Julian Assange. And I'm not exactly sure the parameters of what aspect this book is looking at. I'm hopefully we'll get it when I get home tomorrow. I'll be able to start reading it. 
Um, but Kevin's a great guy and he is definitely has the inside scoop on all things Julian Assange. Doing a crossover podcast next Wednesday with Do Dissonance. Uh, they were See, I love right. that I request that and you did that. I said to him today, I'm like, I want to do a crossover with Keaton and Russell again. And he's like, okay. So we'll be speaking to them. And the following Monday uh, after that, I think we may actually have something scheduled already. Uh, we do. Uh, on Monday, April the 3rd, we will be speaking with our friend and Congresswoman Jasmine Crockett of uh, Texas's uh, 30th district, I believe. I don't remember the number. Uh, She represents the Dallas metro area. Yeah. Uh, She's a, she's a very solid representative. She knows what she's doing. Yeah. Uh, And we could say we knew her back when, when she was being such a fighter. First of all, Charleston charge. That's a great name. Um, Yes, the stickers are made of plastic. So there you go. There's our plastic. So we are actually inadvertently hurting the planet. But this isn't made of plastic. No, but the truth is, guys, it's what we what we talk about consistently. And what's really important is, yes, we do have personal responsibilities. But at this point, things like us not ordering from Amazon is not going to solve the problem. We need to understand these are global problems, need global solutions. It isn't something that just by us boycotting and banning plastic straws from our municipalities is not going to solve the problem. And they want us to think that it's all personal responsibility so that we're looking away from the bigger issues. Um, So, yeah, I understand about the plastic thing and I do the best I can in my little life to contribute. And my goal is to be at some point net neutral. My goal in my life at some point is to be living as net neutral as I personally can with the universe. Um, But that is not going to solve the problem. That's just something I want to personally do. Yeah, we all have to work on it. And look, if you were on Capitol Hill right now, we would have the opportunity to use that platform to try to make this more of a talking point because it is serious. Now, even though a lot of people don't want to give up their luxuries, they need to understand that there is a limited amount of resources that are on the planet. So you have to start thinking about what are the things that are reasonably easy to give up. Uh, Charleston, it's got nothing to do with being in the dirt with you, brother. It has to do with whether or not we, you know, again, it's like you live in a society, so you shouldn't talk about it. Travers, whoever said that ordering from Amazon and a Russian bride were mutually exclusive? For all I know, you can order a Russian bride off of Amazon. I don't know why you're talking crazy talk like that. No one's asking you to make that kind of sacrifice. It sounds like you're a Russian asset. That's what it sounds like. (laughs) He's a bot. Are you a bot, Travers? Travers Travers is good people. He's been with us for quite a while. (laughs) Yeah, but, no, no, no. He's, I believe he's, he's somewhere in the UK. I believe, is he Irishman? Are you an Irishman? Right he's I somewhere in the UK. And if he is, he's up really late. Unless, of course, you've already gotten up. He might have already gotten up for the day. Oh, don't do that. You sound like a leprechaun. All right, guys. I'm a leprechaun. It's in my blood. I have no further announcements. Fine. I've got one last thing to do before we go. Oh, and guys, tomorrow night, we're going to be premiering the Gen Z report, 9 o'clock. Excuse me. Excuse me. It oh is my God. turn to talk. I don't the Gen care about Z these report. Kids. I don't care about these little kids. It's not their time. It's my time. And look, I've Your heard all the stories. They're really terrible. They really believe that I'm the bad guy here, and I am totally not. I am a really incredible, tremendous person. Believe me when I tell you, this 
Soros-funded DA, Mr. Braggadocious, brags a lot, brags out his ass, really terrible person. He wants to indict me for paying off a lady that wanted me more than I wanted her. Can you believe that? Absolutely. I can't believe that anybody would want you. No, I can't. Everybody wants me. I'm a total stable genius. They like me for my personality and my looks. I'm a double threat, baby. No, I'm a double threat. Believe me, I'm really great. Who could resist this? This is really incredible. Anyway, I'm 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 making a double call out right now. My first call out is to that terrible, braggadocious, bimbo headed idiot, Alvin Bragg. That's right. I'm coming for you, baby. You think you can take on the Donald? I'll be taking you on. Believe me, you're just you're barking up the wrong tree. I will meet you in that courtroom and I will have my day and I will have my say. And for Ron Meatball to Sanctimonious, who still can't stop talking trash about me, I'm a totally innocent person. I never said anything bad about him. I said, fair competition. Let's have a great race. It'll be really great. And he couldn't help himself the other day. He made terrible accusations about me. He doesn't understand. He doesn't understand. He's in the wrong fight. He should stay in Florida. That's where he belongs. It's Donald's time. It is Donald's show. And he is not invited to the party. Believe me, we are making America great again. Again. All right, you got to go. We got to wrap. I got to see my boy here before I go. I don't go when you want to go. I go when I want to go. I have my statement. I'm going to be with my boy. Just be on the lookout. We all know I'm going to be indicted for something I totally didn't do. But even if I did, it wasn't that big of a deal. After all, the wonderful deals that I've done with my son-in-law proxy, if you will, to the wonderful Saudis who have used my hotels for really great deals and they gave us a lot of money. It worked out wonderfully. Believe me, that is going to be how this comes to a conclusion. And if not, I can assure you, America is going to be great again, again, when I make it to the White House in 24. There's no stopping us. MAGA's on the run and you're all a part of it. So get on board. Believe me, it's going to be great. So for those of you who haven't uh, watched our podcast before, that is my Donald Trump. Uh, and yeah, uh, I think it's going to be, I, I, personally, I think it will backfire on Trump, uh, not on Trump. I think it'll backfire on, on the Dems, um, depending on how they go forward with this. Because look, there's a lot of things that you could go after him on, really legitimately speaking. His relationship with the Saudi royal family and the things that he did with the president's office, particularly usage of his hotels. That's there's real crimes there. And the fact that Jared Kushner was able to move two billion dollars, it's crazy. But, you know, much like Hunter Biden, there's nothing that's going to come of this, guys. You got to understand that. I love you, Double K. I hope you enjoy. uh, Anytime I do an impression, I get love from my lovely lady in Wisconsin. Uh, You know, what are they going to do? They're going to arrest him. The, the liberals will have their moment because his photo will be plastered all over the media. So they'll have their, their little moment to shine and say, look, we arrested Donald Trump for banging a porn star and paying her off. You don't really think it's going anywhere, do you? I mean, I would genuinely ask people, do you really think that this is going to amount to anything other than political gamesmanship and 
you know, giving Trump a bigger boost. I tell you, the only person who's really losing here is, is Governor DeSantis, because, you know, there's a lot of times that you can have a snafu, uh, you know, a, a brain fart moment. But, man, his miscalculation on going after Trump was really bad. Really, really bad. He had an opportunity to not even really address the issue, but kind of sidestep it, if you will. But the fact that he addressed it from the standpoint of, you know, trying to big league Trump with, I don't really know what you do when you're having sex with a porn star. It's like, that's not a good look, bro. And it's not, that's not going to work for you. But I can already see a lot of people on the political right, libertarians, independents and whatnot. They all do not really either care for DeSantis, so they don't trust him. They think he's uh, basically a war hawk like everybody else. Probably true. I mean, look, we're living in a time where there is an attempt to sort of build this anti-war movement. It needs to be built with labor. Uh, so you never know what's going to happen. Uh, but I do believe that, you know, something's going to something's going to give. Uh, you know, today. Uh, you know, D.A. Bragg decided that they were going to delay it another day. The grand jury is still reviewing the information. So it's really hard to say what's going to come of it. Uh, I think there will be an indictment. Uh, but do I think that, you know, it, is Trump going to get fingerprinted? Is he going to be thrown in jail? No, I don't think so. And if he is, again... I think for the crime that they're trying to charge him with, it's just, I, I don't know what they think they're going to do. Are we talking about the Trumpists and Stormy Daniels? Yeah. I don't pay attention to that because those stories never really go anywhere. Well, even if he gets indicted, I don't really see what's going to come of it. I still think it's going to be a waste of time, a waste of effort and a waste of money. Yeah, well, always. It, but it's a circus. And the truth is Trump lives for the circus. If you're going to indict him, and, you know, I had a conversation with a friend of ours who's in the media space, won't say who, but is giving this idea that somehow Donald Trump is like Al Capone and you're going to get him on some small, small charge, but is ultimately going to knock him off his perch. And I'm thinking they no. would have done it by now. Absolutely. If you had like a real tangible charge that you could go after him on, then you would go after him on that. Not only do I think they don't have anything that's going to ever really do anything, but I don't think they even have enough that'll keep him from running, like, which is ultimately what they're trying to do. And I don't think they can. I think they're trying to do that. And I think well, that they're failing miserably at it because they really don't know what to do. They don't know what to do because they don't want to admit that what they have done, what the corporate establishment has done, something as simple as the Willow Project. Something as simple as not fighting for the uh, the PRO Act. Something as simple as not pushing for a $15 minimum wage, which was the minimum that was being requested of Bernie and his movement. How about something as simple as not fucking the railroad workers? How about something as simple as not caving on uh, who were the other workers that, I mean, again, it's so ridiculous, uh, that Biden threw under the bus there was the railroad you workers. That, are you talking about in the miners, the coal miners? Yeah, well, the coal miners as well. In Alabama. Yeah. 
The fact that you're still masquerading around regarding health care and haven't done a damn thing with it and everyone knows that the end game is a universal single payer system. You can keep pretending like that's not possible. You won't even attempt to push us, push a public option forward. But, you know, I give them at least credit for not trying to do that right now because everyone will see through their bullshit. They had two years to try to uh, at least put through a, a, a public option. They wouldn't do it. And they could attempt to do it right now and be like, oh, well, you know, we're trying. But the GOP, you know, they're not going to have it. I think enough people are awake now where they're not buying that shit anymore. They're just looking at it and saying, yeah, not going to work. Definitely not. Aww. So, yeah, we're. We're heading for a Trump or DeSantis presidency, as crazy as that may seem for a lot of people. It's not what we want. You know, we want something better. But remember, everything starts at the local level, and we're working on some stuff here locally. So if you guys are not involved with your local... Uh, We've got some things brewing. Yeah. We've I got some things, things brewing. I heard things... I heard things. You heard things? Because I, I, I feel things. like I was working for hours today. A little bit. I little feel bit. like I feel like I was working for hours in one form or another today. Like I haven't worked in like a, over a good year. Uh no, that's uh, that that's really good. I appreciate that. That's and, really and good. my little projects are moving along nicely. So five times, eight times, you know, give a take. Give a take. Just salt taste. You know? <laughs> I, you know what, though? It's days like this where I feel like I'm making progress. Yeah, you feel like you're working again. I am working again. Speaking of which, locally, guys, from a local perspective, Saturday we're going to be down at Gramps in Miami in the Wynwood area, and that'll be from 12 to 3. The Miami-Dade – I think it's the Miami-Dade Young Dems are hosting uh, Congressperson Maxwell Frost. And I believe also our local favorite uh, state senator, Chevron Jones, is going to be down there talking. Yes. Um, so that's always a good time. So if you guys are local and want to show some support for the local young Dems in Miami-Dade, come by on Saturday. Sounds like a good plan. Do we have anything else going on? That's about it. Remember to smash the like button, share, subscribe, do all those wonderful things. We had our most viral video we've ever done since our podcast launched today. I thought I was hallucinating. You sent me that. I'm like, am I hallucinating? Like, guys, we had a crazy viral video yesterday. We got 335 new subscribers in one day. It's crazy. I don't think so. I think we've oh, just- we haven't had that ever from a video. I don't know how you don't think that's crazy. No, it's definitely the first of its kind, and it couldn't have been for a better video with uh, Matt Taibbi talking about Debbie Wasserman Schultz, and currently it has 37,000 views. She is a gift that gives. That was the perfect uh, graphic as well. I think a lot of people like that. 1,500 likes, 300, over 300 comments. And we are, at this point, just over 200 subscribers away from 10,000, which of and course- guys, honestly, that has been my goal for two years just to get, like, I didn't realize it would be this hard to get to the 10,000, but honestly, that is a big milestone for us. I mean, I see these like content creators, they have their like 100,000 and million plaque, right? I just want 10,000 so we could open a merch store. <laughs> it's not like we're making much cash either, so it's- 
no, we're, we're doing the best we can. Although my Trump impression got double K to throw 20. So we love you. Guys, don't check, check out tomorrow night. We're going to be on. Actually, it'll be two young people sitting where we normally sit. And um, Peter and I will be there like behind the scenes. And we're going to be working and showing these kids, let the Gen Z kids have their own show on the channel. So if you can swing by tomorrow at some point and show them some love. Um, my goal is for them to originally just be like a self-sustaining um, show. Uh, and yeah, yeah sure. I mean, that's my goal is to and sort of get them up and running. So they're functioning and they're producing their own show. And of course, if you guys uh, are so inclined, if you don't want to leave your credit card on the grid, go to cash app, dollar sign, gen change, any amount that you want to toss uh, really means a lot to every one of you guys, Carrie, Travers, Metaopoly, Double K. Uh, Danny's not here, but he's a regular, you know, you're reg Char our regular Char people. Char Charleston Charge, I dig the name. Emeros, I, he's a new subscriber and a frequent watcher in the live stream, which is great. Glad to have you here. Uh, Bill Bradley, glad to have you here. Baldwin Orange with your smart ass comments. We love him. Thank you for checking in. Yeah, uh, honestly, guys, as long as people aren't mean, it doesn't matter to me what you, yeah. And, and I just, and I also don't like it when people are nasty about guests. Other than that, we're very free speech here. Just don't be mean. There's no reason to be mean. Yep. Damn right. Thanks so much. Remember to subscribe, like, share, do all those wonderful things. It really means a lot. Thank you so much. And if you are so inclined, tune in tomorrow night for the very first episode of the Gen Z Report. If not, we will see you Monday. Bye all. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.